you know, uh, you know, we've just been bringing guests on every show. It's been a long time since it's just been you and me yeah, talking. Just, just the two of us. You know, so far, I think what we've done on this podcast is sort of giving people the intellectual keys to explore Narnia. Mm. That, that Narnia exists. It's out there. We're walking around. When I was thinking about this the other day, I was thinking Bigfoot is the best example we have today. It's the one thing we can all go to that actually gives you some credibility that Narnia does exist. And, you know, that's the that's the gateway drug that we've been talking about since day one. It is. But I think... I think I hope our guests, our guests, our listeners have been exploring that world with us. And uh, we, had, we didn't take too much time to prove if Narnia existed or not. We just kind of walked through the wardrobe and here we are going 100 miles an hour. I think some people need a little more time. How are you feeling, Luke? Are you feeling like this pace is, is, is too wild? Or it's hot and you... heavy, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we, we weren't joking around. We we're talking about diving in. No, I just find it fascinating, man. You know, I'm like a big history guy for one, yeah. and all the stuff with giants and Nephilim and yeah, the Book of Enoch, and you know, even to an extent, a lot of these creature creature things talking about the antediluvian times and 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 what was like what was life like before the great series of cataclysms. Um, just find it fascinating, and you know, as you like to say, it all kind of comes full circle when we talk about you know Bigfoot and we think about the big guy. And uh, so some of your favorite guests so far, what are, what are some things, top five, few things that have stuck with you that you've found out about on this show? Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of guests just do a ton of prep and they're already, they already know the information and they're just kind of giving it back. But you and I are, we're on this journey with our listeners. Like a lot of this stuff, you know, we're hearing for the first time. And I think for me, a couple things that have stuck out is the watchers being surprised at the Giants and them having a reaction like, oh my gosh, what do we create? Uh, I didn't I didn't expect that. You know, your whole life you think, oh yeah, anything that's evil in the Bible doesn't have a conscience. And to hear that these things were like, oh man, uh, described as, I mean, who knows, but that's the way they were described, that they had this reaction. And, and, and Doug kind of gave us that ambivalence too. It's just like these creatures are, like when he said that sometimes they, you know, the Greeks said you can use demons to your own ends, but you got to be careful because you never know. You can't trust a demon. There's just, just some things I, I, I never thought about. I never heard. You know, you grow up thinking like, stay, you know, don't touch any of this stuff with a 10 foot pole, but there is a little bit of like gray area. And that's just, that's been weird to me to hear. Yeah. I mean, from Fritz getting uh, abducted, allegedly, or having some time. Some time <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to Tom Seward, just talking about all the wild stuff that happens out there on Bigfoot Island. I mean, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know how. I mean, what's been standing out to me? I mean, Bigfoot butt casts, and you know, we've got plaster copies of Bigfoot's perineum. So, not <laughs> stuff you thought you were gonna hear come across, well, maybe ever. Um, and you know, that's that's from the Godfather of them all, Jeff Meldrum. So, what I love about what we're doing is is we're not. I don't feel like we're we're in a position where we're we're taking a a conclusion and trying to work backwards, right? I feel more like we're just kind of doing the exploratory thing. At least that's how it feels for me. And so to get the variety of, of point of views and opinions and, and dive into things I haven't thought about or talked about, like whether it be Brian Forrester and the skulls, you know, and, and the percentage of those being, you know, anatomically that way, not not modified or ancient tool marks, things you just don't think about, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's just been kind of eye-popping. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was just gonna say I think 
it's 15 episodes in, but I have formed an opinion about Bigfoot when I was listening back to our la- latest episode that I never had before. Um, and I think I have a new idea of what Bigfoot is. And well, I lay, thought I would lay it on the people. Give the people so, what they want here, Nate. So after you know, after hearing Judd talk about the Chimera and Doug talk about the Chimera, I think I didn't understand what a Chimera really was. I didn't understand that the Nephilim is half spirit father, half human fa- uh, mother. Right? That's that's what a Nephilim is. But a Chimera is a spirit father and an animal mother. And I think to myself, this is what people are describing Bigfoot. It's, it's, it's this chimera. I think they took a primate and it has a spiritual father and a primate mother. I think that's what we've been described. That's what I think Bigfoot is. So you're basically talking about like supernatural bestiality. Well, that's what the chimera creatures are, the, just, the centaurs. It's just weird. I mean, but I know, I know. I never, I, but yeah. people describe these beings. And some people, are these the mermaids? Are these the. You know the other creatures that are described. The mermen. Throughout him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know where I fall and all that. I mean, I guess logically speaking, if we if you can make the leap, you know, and from the Nephilim, which would be just, you know, essentially a hybrid human, you could I guess easily linearly make the leap to, you know, centaurs and dogmen and goatmen. Yeah. And you know, as Judd said. But I didn't really understand the chimera. I didn't really I didn't know what the background was, the scientific description of those things was. And now I'm like, well, this sounds to me like what everyone's describing Bigfoot, you know, this half, half and half. Yeah. So. All right. All right. That's there. That's, there. I mean, that's, that's there. That's out there Wrap now. it up. That's Let's out. go that's home. Out. I mean, that's out there now. <laughs> you can't take that one back. Well, I just think it's, a, I mean, it's what we've been saying on this show. You, you know, every time a guest comes on, we throw out our opinion too. And you think it's part spirit, but you know the Tom Seawoods and the and the Jeff Meldrums they 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 talk about it like it's an animal, yeah, and they do. You can you can bring both of those ideas into the Chimera. That's it's it's the full force. Yeah, I mean it's it's wild. I think that you you said this from the beginning that maybe you know these prehistoric times were much more like Middle Earth and, and Lord of the Rings or Narnia and much less you know cavemen you know grunting and making fire. Oh yeah, and I think it's such like a better and more compelling and interesting and fascinating and more likely past for humanity than us emerging from the primordial ooze, you know. And I don't know, man. It's just a uh, fantasy becomes reality. And when fantasy becomes reality, I mean, we got a guy today coming on the show. His name's Joe Taylor. I mean, if he had a resume, he's got all these things on his resume, baby. He. He knows everything about Bigfoot to Mothman. He's been on fossil digs. He's got a museum. I love these guys we're bringing on the show, man. They're so colorful. They've got a lot of knowledge. They've been all over the world, and they think outside of the box. They're they're my type of people. And, you know, sometimes I think about personality tests, and I think that there's certain people in the personality tests, like, you know, the Enneagram's huge. Or if yeah. you're an any if you're an Enneagram one and you're just like, you probably hate this show because it's just it's throwing a wrench into like your whole entire system of, of, of how you disseminate information and think about science and everything. Right. I, I can live in the gray space just fine. And a lot of people can't, I'm sure you have some people in your mind that like, if you were to throw some of this information to, they would just have a reaction with you. Like an adverse reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, the safe space to live is that you can wrap your hands and arms and your mind around everything right there's straightforward 
an easy answer for the big questions. And I think the actually the opposite most often is true. And I think that's what's so so fascinating. I think that's why this is such a fun project and uh, such a fun space. You know, in a time now where you know we're able to have our little platforms and get this information out and allow people to interact with some of these these experts that a lot of times get sort of blocked or you know or or just excluded from the mainstream conversation. Yeah, it's just a cool. It's a, what a time to be alive. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, a lot of people just don't think that this information can be swept up, swept under the rug. And as we're finding out guest after guest after guest that, yeah, the old big brother shows up, takes the bones, heads on out. You know, I'm just appreciative of you guys coming along with us. Every week it's growing. More people are hitting us up. We're getting a lot of messages. I like the fan messages. Uh, a lot of people are sending encouraging notes. Uh, we got a really cool Dogman story yesterday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. People are starting to share their experiences with us, and that's cool that you've trust us to uh, share your story. So we're going to try to bring some of those people on. We're trying to figure out a format, include your stories on this show. We appreciate you guys giving us a review. All that stuff just helps us continue, grow the show, get more guests on, and have more fun because I'm having fun. I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, you know, podcasting is all about doing something you're going to talk. You're going to want to talk about episode 150. I could talk about the giants and the ancient world being like Narnia probably forever. Now, the cool thing is some of these guests are in their 50s, 60s, and they're still going. Luke, have you thought about that? Like trucking, writing books. Yeah. I I don't think this information gets old, right? Yeah, I don't don't think so either. And that's a big part of, you know, when you're doing a podcast, because you can get 25 episodes into a subject and be like, "Ah, I'm done. I'm over it. Yeah. Sounds like we could just keep going. We're going to keep going, Nate. Until the people stop listening. And then you and I are just going to keep talking about it like two old old men playing cards. That's right. Yeah. Two old giants on the hill hillside <laughs> with our beards. Well, let's bring on Joe Taylor. He's the myth, the man, the legend. Let's jump into this one. All right. Welcome to the show, Joe Taylor from the Mount Blanco Fossil Museum in Texas. Joe is an artist, explorer, anthropologist, and author. He's written several books, Fossils, Facts, and Fantasies, and Giants Against Evolution. And Joe, you're friends with a lot of our previous guests like Ron Moorhead and Judd Burton. You have quite the resume as far as your uh, the width and breadth of what you do. Biblical Doctrine and History, Paleontology, Geology, Archaeology, the Nephilim, Giants, Little People, Bigfoot, Mothman, UFOs, and on and on. You've done hundreds of fossil digs, worked on world-class specimens. You know many top evolutionists and most creationists. You've done numerous carbon-14 dating of dinosaurs, provided dinosaur bone for soft tissue research, and made the largest molds of fossils still in the ground, such as the Waco Sudden Death Site. You worked on fossils from Siberia and Alaska and many parts of the world, and worked on man-made objects in rock, they're supposed to predate dinosaurs. You've dealt with the dino bird theory, treated on the gap theory, and are dinosaurs a product of the fallen angels or Satan? 
Uh, you're also a professional artist. I thought this was the most interesting part of your bio, your bio Joe. Since 1966, you've, you've been an artist, and some of your art is probably on our listener's computer in the font section under the name Bauhaus, Blippo Black, or Pump. That's one of the more impressive resumes I think that I've uh, I've, oh, yeah. I've seen out here. You are <laughs> you're a Renaissance man in in every sense of it, and we're glad to have you on the show. Well, I was raised by uh, Renaissance people who just did whatever they thought up. No <clears throat> no hesitation. We we grew up on a farm, you know, with cows and horses, uh, cowboys and all this stuff. But we thought of uh, spaceships, uh, art acting, writing, guitar playing, know that we weren't just stuck with just being farmers and ranchers. So my dad ran for Congress one time, got me into the whole world of conspiracy theories and all that. He was an avid reader and I've read everything I get my hands on. So if you do that, you know, you learn a lot about a lot of things. And the more you learn, the clearer the picture gets of anything you're focusing on. So I encourage people to study, you know, look around, don't, don't be my office. Yeah. You got a great history and a, and you got a lot under your belt. One thing we ask all our guests from the beginning of the show is, uh, what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Um, and have you had any encounters or experiences? Well, I haven't been fortunate enough to run into one myself, but I've talked to several people who have. In fact, uh, one of the guys that volunteers in my museum is a, a cowboy recovering from his uh, injuries. And he and his brother shot one, a big sort of, he said it was sort of an off-white color about, I think, 25, 30 years ago. And I just shot it with a lot of bullets and it kept coming. And I said, well, how do you know you didn't kill it? Well, they, they, they don't know. They just kept going. But we went, he took me back out to the place where this happened. He was still recuperating and couldn't run or do anything. And we're out there near this clearing where uh, these things came out of. And he says, now if something happens, you got you to protect me. I go, yeah, right, with my bad knee. <laughs> so they didn't kill it. I, I, well, we don't know. It's been seen by other people, or one like that's been seen by other people in the area. A little girl was telling me here a while back that she knew of some sightings in the same area. It's around Matador, Texas, which is just ranch country. I mean, there are nobody out there with three cowboys and, you know, 500 cows, but it's real remote. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> The place we went, there was a clearing, I mean, a, a grove of trees there about two or three inches across, 20 feet tall. And uh, as we got up to the edge of the clearing, you couldn't see a thing in there. You could hide a Mack truck in there. But about four or five of these trees are bent over at the ground. No cow, no truck, no horse, nobody would do that. So <clears throat> I've talked to other people in, in our area here who have uh, – had encounters with them. And like I say, you know, me, I just, I never even seen a UFO, even though they come through here. Hmm. What do you think it is though? What do you think Bigfoot, do you think it's uh, just a full animal or do you think it has some spiritual qualities? Well, after researching it for a very long time and then knowing Von Moorhead, some of his theories and others who've actually done a lot of work with them, it's too human to be an animal and it's too animal to be a human. A long time ago, I said, maybe this is Gigantopithecus. I think uh, some of the other guys, Jeff Meldrum, may hold that same position. I don't know. But the, the problem with it is is uh, guys like Ron Moorhead and I believe his daughter both say they have seen one appear and disappear. I said, well, are you sure didn't walk around a tree or something? 
Uh, he was sure now they disappeared and disappeared. But there's other, I think Melbourne even quoted somebody saying maybe they put out this uh, sound that uh, causes people to go to sleep for a few seconds. And they walk out of the scene. And so when you wake up, you look where they were and they're gone. They, they'd like to disappear. That seems to be um, huh. plausible. You know, whales make low, low, low sounds. Elephants can make low sounds that we can't hear that maybe affect us in some way. So I don't know. Do they go into a portal? This whole portal thing, you know, I've, I've, been, <clears throat> I've been a Christian most of my life. My dad was a minister. I grew up around ministers of all kinds, studied jillions of books of theology and all that. To attach spiritual uh, interpretation of something to an animal, I have to be very, very careful. I don't know. Are there portals? Can a physical being that you can shoot and kill? I know the guy you killed one. How? You know, I, I don't know. I'm still dealing with that. You get all the guys talking about portals? Yeah, I mean, that's something we went through with, with the quantum Bigfoot stuff, Nate, where you start talking about mathematically, there's 11 dimensions that have been proved and they can't disprove them. You can't work the math backwards and unprove the fact there's these dimensions, right? And there's a lot of theories out there that Bigfoot is an interdimensional being and all that mean all that means is that he's able to somehow you know go from the fourth from the third to the fourth dimension and and beyond which i think in a lot of ways is you know the same things we talk about semantics right it's the idea that there's a spiritual realm that we don't see necessarily but sometimes we do uh that is is real or paul says is as real as, as what we do see you gotta i don't know you, you gotta wonder there's there's a lot of weird stuff i, I think joe you have a good point there that there's not just two people. There's a lot of people that say that they not only see Bigfoot you know, disappear, but there's also all kinds of weird stuff that, that happens around them. I know that Ron Moorhead talks about, you know, lights and, and beams of light and, and it's just strange, really strange phenomena that that have been associated with Bigfoot. Now, not always. We talked to Jeff Meldrum on our show and talked about, you know, all the things in, in the empirical Newtonian evidence that makes sense for, but there's also all the weird stuff. So I, that's kind of where Nate and I kind of fall on both sides of the fence, I think. Our last guest talked about the chimera a lot, the spirit father and the animal mother and all the weird creatures that were supposedly created. And I, I've, I'm kind of thinking lately that maybe Bigfoot's a chimera, primate mother and a spirit father. Is that possible? I don't know if you know a lot about those creatures, but uh, that I'm kind of new to that stuff, but I'm kind of thinking that that could be the blend of the two. Well, according to... Uh I think Jasher, maybe Enoch as well, uh, the fallen angels, the, the wicked ones, were mating with not only human women, with animals of any kind, sea creatures, birds. You know, there were some giant birds in, in the fossil record. You got birds that are 10 feet tall. So I, I, yeah, I can't prove that. I mean, it's real weird to talk about. Most people will talk about it. Most Christians don't want to go there, but. You know, I've been in the fossil business now since 1978, actively since 1980, and uh, had a large museum here for the last 25 years. Yeah. So I've had a lot of information that I wouldn't have ordinarily had. And I know a lot about the fossil record. I know a lot about the fossil animals. And I know a lot about uh, modern uh, biology, modern animals, that sort of thing to try to make some sort of correlation. Did your dad talk to you about the giants when you were growing up? You said your father was a minister. Was that something that you learned early on in life? Not really, but we knew about David and Goliath. We believed David and Goliath. We've heard all that stuff. It's just that it never came up because at that time, people weren't, if they were finding <clears throat> giant skeletons, they weren't being talked about very much. 
And really, I think they were. There were UFO uh, incidents right out here a few miles from where I grew up, and yet no one ever talked about it. Most of the cowboys that I've talked to, they didn't want to tell anybody about it because automatically you're some nut, you know, that watches too much TV. So cowboys don't want to be perceived as nuts. Conservative people yeah. don't want to be accused of getting off into the weird. So. Yeah, you mentioned your dad talks about conspiracy theories with you as a kid. What were those conspiracy theories? He went, he ran for Congress in 1962 against an ensconced uh, yellow dog, uh, old-time Democrat here in, in our uh, our county. And as as an arch-conservative Republican, primitive Baptist minister, which is sort of the low, lowest rung of the totem pole for churches, and uh, a farmer. But he was really open-minded and had a brilliant mind. And just because he was born where it was didn't keep him from exploring things. So one day he came in, he had us a book called, uh, none dare call it uh, Treason, I believe. He said, y'all read this. Tell me and my brothers, read this. So when he said, read it, you did. So I read it and then uh, none dare call it Conspiracy came out. And I read all that. And uh, once they open a conspiracy door, if you're an open-minded person, a seeker of truth and more knowledge, You'll, you'll start finding more books. You'll talk to people who tell you more things. If you're not, you, you'll stop it right there. And as soon as anybody brings up another conspiracy book or, or theory, you just go, oh, I, you know, blah, blah, and talk about the weather. People like that, and I don't have much to talk about. <laughs> you know, I don't like football. Weather's okay for about three minutes. Right. You know, you talk about girls, you talk about Corvettes for a while. You know, but after, after it gets around to God and God gets into conspiracies, you know, what's really going on with Masonic Lodge really running things? Right. Is it is really such thing as Illuminati? I've been looking at that for a long, long time. So if you're going to read about the Masonic enemies and say, yeah, they're all bad because somebody told me it was. But I just go to the source. <laughs> In fact, one time I was, uh, uh, I saw this big Masonic Lodge down in Fort Worth and I saw the the back entrance, I just pulled out in there and parked. And here was the door. So I went in the door of the basement. <laughs> no way. Kept going, kept going. And here's the elevator. Look around. Here's a room with the tile, black and white tile floor, right? And went up to the top. Well, here I am, you know, in all the offices. So wow. I look, look around and I asked this lady, I said, uh, is Master Lodge here? Uh, yeah, no, I think he's out, but his office is right down there. So I talked to somebody. I said, well, I'm looking for some information on the, uh, so they gave me, oh, here's some stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. There's some wild stuff over the, over the uh, Masonic Lodge. Well, it's like the, uh, the Jesuits question, you know, or the Jesuits good or bad. What about them? Well, just read their books. Right. You can get their books, just read them. The Rosicrucians, the same thing. Yeah. One of the things you talk about uh, is you say dinosaurs are alive and giants are still alive. Do you talk about that a bit? That's I mean, that's fascinating. That's that's an that's a quite well, the... mainstream science. You take for someone who's been involved with with atheist, anti-Christian by their own admission, evolutionists with PhDs in the field. OK, so I didn't start reading a bunch of Christian books and stuff. Those guys, you know, they have every reason to dis disprove anything about the Bible. But if you go to their own meetings, read their own books, you know these people and sit down with them and spend time in their office, you'll find out that, that whatever is being put out in mainstream media and being told to, to college students to get a degree is real old hat information. And when every time I talk to a college student, they put out the stuff, well, I believe there could be some evolution because of a lot of evidence. I just almost walk away. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. If you really still believe in Santa Claus, 
you're 20 years old. I, re I guess I can't help you. Having a museum here and being open to everything, and people send me stuff all the time. Yeah. For instance, there was a, la a lady came in one day, uh, Amazonian lady, and her, uh, she married to a white guy from Tennessee. And they came in looking around, and pretty soon she says, do you have any books on dinosaurs? I said, well, not really for sale. And what, what do you need? Well, my dad killed something in the jungle there one day. We'd like to take a book back and have him pick out which one it was. Really? You're thinking, well, this lady's really been smoking too much. Cocoa <laughs> <laughs> leaf or something down there. But she was, she was, she was a serious Christian lady. Ah. So she told this story. He said her dad was out in the jungle in a clearing. He sees a pig. You know, peccary, whatever was out there. He draws down him with his bow and arrow. This is maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago. I don't know. And he shoots the thing. As just as soon as he lets go of the arrow, this this uh, T-Rex, Allosaur-like something, comes out of the trees and grabs this thing in his mouth. So the guy takes off because they're terrified of him. You're going terrified of him. They don't exist. Well, tell them that. Right. How big was this thing? Well, he would have to have a head probably two and a half feet long to get a peccary in his mouth. We dug up an allosaurite in Colorado, and it had a head, too, and it was uh, 26 inches long. He could open his mouth big enough to get around a, a small pig, okay? So something maybe 8, 10 feet tall, 15, 20 feet long as they go. <clears throat> wow. So a few days later, some of the other natives came into the camp, and they said, man, why does the jungle smell so bad? This guy said, well, I shot this thing out there. So we went to see it. And there's this big black dinosaur-like creature laying there with a pig in his mouth. And I, I guess the arrow must have hit him in some, you know, right in the neck or right in the ear or some fragile point. We hear these stories often where, you know, Bigfoot gets killed or one of these animals gets killed. Or uh, we the haven't bones had a dinosaur one, though. We, we haven't heard a dinosaur one. No, which is amazing. I mean, I've heard stories of, of pterodactyls coming down and harassing people in like Papua New Guinea and places like that. Um, yep. And like, you know, everyone says that Loch Ness Monster is just a plesiosaurus. How come when these things happen, the bones go missing or the bodies get carried off? There's, there's, it seems like every time we get close to proving these things, it's just MIA. You know, out there in the jungle, uh, something big like that dies. You, you just got to get away from it because it smells so bad and they don't know what to do with those bones. They don't, they don't have a market for them. And that, you know, they might even bring the head or something into the camp after a couple of years, uh, if something else doesn't eat it and have it sitting around the camp. That's, that is a good question. Why don't we have more evidence of these things? Well, now with everybody having a cell phone, except the guys in the jungle who can't charge it, you know, there's more chances of that stuff be, being recorded. Yeah. But it's also fake too, because most of the stuff looks, it, 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 it looks fake almost. Some of these creatures, they, you know, Bigfoot looks like a guy in a suit naturally. It just looks like that. So I feel like the Patterson Gim Gimlin film is kind of a, a special moment because the technology wasn't good enough at the time to fake it. Right. And, but now, no. now we can fake it. So even if you do get footage of Bigfoot, people are going to say it's fake. And you're like, it's almost like the late, late, late sixties, seventies was the time to film something. Right. Um, you, you talk about right. you talk about the secret societies. Do you think they're behind a lot of this information suppression? I think that the, that at the very top of the pyramid is the devil, Satan himself, the old serpent, and he he has those under him, his hierarchy, uh, the the fallen angels who are, are powerful, you know, the ones that are called um, 
uh, principalities, powers of the air, and all that sort of thing. And they, I think, in a lot of places have and maybe still do control uh, the top of nations. You know, a nation like England or a nation like uh, uh, Germany or Iran. They're really powerful entities. So they all want to be worshipped. The devil wants to be worshipped as God. He's always going to be in the throne of God. And you know, you think you know he can read. All he's got to do is read the script. See, he's going to be burned up in the lake of fire at the end of it. But if you've ever known massive egos, they're they're blinded by their own ego. To they're going off the cliff. Everybody's telling them, or they're afraid to tell them, but they won't stop because they're so driven to their point they can't believe it could be something other than what they want. I think that's where the devil is. He he knows, got to know. But yeah, I think they're controlled from the top down and. This whole uh, mask thing, you know, I, I, you probably want to get into that, but but this, everybody and his dogs wearing a mask out in the sun, riding motorcycles in your own car. Yeah, seriously, you know, <laughs> it's just so stupid. Yeah. You can't even go in the bank here without knocking on the window in the cold. And kids let me in. It looks to me like okay, we got them all to wear a mask. Now we can make them all get a, a little shot here. Because we're already convinced they'll die if they don't wear a mask. So if they'll die if they don't get the shot. And by the way, we need to verify that. We'll put a little chip in there. It won't hurt you. And then we can read that wherever you go. Yep, go ahead and let them in. They're okay. They've had their full test. Yep. I mean, it sounds uh, ridiculous, but a lot of the stuff sounded ridiculous 20 years ago. You know, when the hippies were trying to burn down the ROTC building there at um, Berkeley campus in 1970. Uh, oh, that seemed really, really bad, man. Can't get any worse than this. Right. Well, they got a lot worse. What they're doing now is like 10,000 times worse. I mean, just nine, just nine months ago, you wouldn't have believed some of this stuff. No. Yeah. No, but you can actually get away with burning up major downtown stores shutting down. I, I think there's probably dozens, if not hundreds of stores in New York City. Yeah. In the heart of the city, they're closed. Yep. How do you accomplish that? Well, you, you bring up a good point because something I've been thinking about on our show lately is that, you know, anything the devil does, if, you know, if you believe Satan exists and he's out there and he's moving and he's shaking, he doesn't come at you with a pitchfork and horns out of his head. He comes at you very subtly. Things are very sly. It's almost like, you know, I heard one guest say that Antichrist doesn't mean opposite of Christ. It means Christ replacement. It'll look and smell and taste like the real thing, but it won't be. It'll just be slightly twisted. And it, and it feels like with this whole mask thing, I've seen people, at, you know, on both sides freaking out. But, you know, the devil's going to come in and give you something and say, this is for your own good, right? This is something you need. This is going to help you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to be obvious, right? Yep. Well, we talked about the dinosaurs. What about the giants? You said the giants are still alive today. Talk a bit about that. Well, You've seen uh, Marzulli's uh, thing, that interview with the, uh, the giant over there in Kandahar. I've, I've seen it. Yeah, okay. That seems to be pretty plausible. If it's fake, it's a really good fake, but it seems to be plausible. Uh, there's a story in my book uh, that I wrote, Giants Against Evolution, of uh, some guy in India over in uh, some place, and he uh, he's down on the river or some creek or something, and I don't know what he's doing down there. But he notices there's this giant man about 12 or 14 feet tall over across the creek. And he stands up, the guy takes off, he's terrified. Wow. Well, that's right now. You know, in World War II, the Koreans brought in some of their soldiers, and some of these guys were like eight feet tall. You know, where'd they go? Yeah. Where, where were they from? Where'd they go? 
you got to be still around. Yeah. The giant thing that's another enigma is like, where's the Bigfoot body? Where's a really good video? Where are the uh, giant skeletons? There's been thousands of them dug up. And you know, I've got records in, in my book and other guys have recorded a bunch of them. The closest I've gotten to that is uh, this old cowboy called me up and wanted to tell me a story. So I go down to a ranch near Post, Texas. This is 20 years ago. And uh, got my recorder and, and uh, he told me this story. How back when he was like 15, he found these giant bones and went to Texas Tech over here, got a professor to come out and they dug up this uh, skeleton 12 feet tall. Wow. And there was some stuff that happened to him while he was there, which really creepy stuff, you know. Uh, <clears throat> and so where's the bones? Well, they were in the museum over in Lubbock, Texas for a while. But about 1960, uh, someone vandalized the case and they don't know what happened to the bones. And they don't know what happened to the bones. It's a familiar end to the story. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. But you know, in the in 1960 in the state of Texas, nobody, I cannot think of one human being that would vandalize a case in a museum and steal stuff. I just, yeah. I can't visualize it. But if you're not a normal Texan, if you're not a normal person that age, then maybe so. Right. Because there are like, you know, there were people back then, you know, the Illuminati's been working a long time and there's always a secret underground that's, that's going on. You don't even know what's what's happening, uh, <clears throat> but they're affecting our lives all the time. We don't know it. Yeah, we've heard a lot about the giants and the giant bones on our show already. We have some guests. Uh, we brought on Fritz Zimmerman. He thinks anything over 10 foot is crazy. And then we talked to Michael Tellinger, and he was saying that the 15-footers are the small guys. Where are you at in terms of how big do you think these things got? Because Michael made him sound like larger than life. He says he's got, you know— He's got these fossil remains of, of shoulder blades that are as big as car doors, and he thinks they were way up there. Um, and then you have other guys that are, you know, this this Venn diagram of those who believe in the giants, it seems pretty pretty scattered on the opinion of how big they were, how how old, how long ago they were here. Um, right. what, what, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, if you uh, if you go with the, uh, the account over there in Canaan of the Israelites, they came in, God said, y'all go take the land. They come in here and they send some spies in to spy out the land and 10 of them come back and say, we can't take it. Those guys are tall as cedar trees. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, that was an evil report. People are going, yeah, it's because it was fake. They didn't say it's fake. It was an evil report because they lacked faith. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take them. God's on our side. He wouldn't tell us to go in there if we couldn't take them. So they didn't <clears throat> and, and they, they suffered for it. But a cedar tree, really at least 20 feet, 40 feet, maybe, you know, if, if God inspired the Bible, if you believe that, why would he make up something that's, that's just totally, you know, goofy? Yeah. <clears throat> then you've got, in my book, I talk about a, a tibia that was supposedly 100 feet long, somewhere over in the old world. Wow. It, 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 it was a bridge across uh, a creek or something. You know, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, maybe not. If some of those men before the flood were 450 feet tall, so we're told, that's, you know, we can't prove it. But here's this uh, tibia that would fit a man 400 or so feet tall, okay? So he was buried in the flood. He was drowned in the flood. He lays there. He's got 20 or 30 or 40, 50 feet of muscle and fat around that tibia. So he lays there. How many years would it take 
for that tibia to deteriorate. It gets down to the bone maybe in a few hundred years or so by animals and insects working on it. So by the time people come along and start using that thing as a bridge, it's still in good shape because it's got so much fat in it and it's so, so big. So even if the outside starts to deteriorate like bone does, you've got a lot of bone there to go. So it's because of I've worked a lot of uh, decaying bones from different animals. I sort of know how they go. Uh, I'm, so I don't doubt that. Just can't prove it. Well, that's about that's the extent. So wait, that's the extreme. Just to make sure I heard you right, you're saying there's a bridge that is supposedly an old an old bone of a giant, giant tibia. Right. Lower, lower okay. <laughs> so that's kind of what Michael Tellinger was telling us that, you know, and there's some of these accounts online where they have like, they show you like faces of giants in mountains and some people have these. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other bunch of guys there. They're nice guys, but you can go to any hill, any, any rock out here and anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Take a photograph at a three o'clock in the afternoon. It looked like a man or a dog. Yeah. Come back at five and it won't look like even a rock. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just curious because it gets kind of out there. I think that's where, like, you know, you poison the well a little bit because a lot of fake stuff circulates. Like I saw on your website, you're like, these are fake. Don't share these photos. Are, are, are there people intentionally faking stuff to try to discredit this whole belief in giants? You think? Well, Cornell University, I don't know, five years ago, were showing people how to, to do Photoshop, right? So, okay, let's take the skeleton of this Indian, and uh, we got a photograph of a, a mastodon dig here. Let's take the mastodon bone out, put the human skeleton in to look as big as 20 feet tall, and make it look really realistic. Well, they fooled a lot of people. There was this one, and I said, you know, look at the shadows on the man, the same man on both sides of the, the skeleton. And his shadows are slightly wrong. It's really great stuff, though. But then they published a photograph of the Mastodon dig. It's like, okay, so it's all fake. Well, there's a bunch of that. There's these four that they send out all the time saying, look at what, what's been found in Greece. Or sometimes they're found in some other country. And I did tell everybody, yeah, I, I believe in the Giants, but these are all fakes. They're just, they're probably Cornell University. And whether they do that on purpose or not, I, I'm not I haven't found that to be the truth, but they could certainly could make, make Christians look bad and put out enough fakes out there. Pretty soon, nobody will put, believe the real thing. So it would be a strategy of the enemy for sure. Yeah. But one of the most credible ones that, I, that I've been associated with, not associated, but I know about, is over in Seymour, Texas, about three hours east of here, <clears throat> a little ranch town. And there was a oil man prospecting for oil out there, I think in the 20s or 30s. And he found a skeleton of a giant man, which he apparently dug most of it up, brought it in, showed it to some doctors. Oh, yeah, it's a man. Well, he was 18 feet tall. So having dug in a little bit in that, that rock there, the red rock contains Permian dinosaurs, you know, the sailback lizards and all that stuff. That stuff's real hard. He didn't dig it out of that. If he had dug it out of that, and I'm not, maybe he did, I don't know, but if he dug it out of that, it would be a pre-flood man. Be somebody who lived the time of the Great Flood four and a half thousand years ago, or whatever you want to place that. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't be recent. But if he was able to dig it up, it's probably in the sand. And the sand in Texas is full of mammoth bones, giant horses, uh, mastodons, sloth, all kinds of stuff. So it's probably someone that lived after the flood in the last uh, three thousand years or so, who was upwards of eighteen feet tall and. 
Did he drown in the flood, get buried in the mud? Don't know. That's something that's interesting. So, I mean, the, I can understand how the flood would bury these things, but how do these things after the flood, because most of the time you watch these Bigfoot videos and they're trying to show that, like, because they're all trying to prove Bigfoot exists because everyone goes, where's the bones? And they show you these time-lapse videos and, like, a deer carcass or something else, they're gone in days. The whole thing's gone. Yeah. So how are these giants after the flood so well-preserved? Well, apparently they loved each other. They consider each other to be gods. If, you know, if their fathers were angels, if that's true, then uh, like Gilgamesh says, he was, he was part divine. He's, apparently he claims to have been fathered by a fallen angel or by a powerful nephilim or something, but he claimed to be divine. Maybe that's where we get the idea of the royalty of Europe and other places. You know, they have the theory of divine right of kings. Hmm. Maybe that's not just we're kings, so therefore we're going to be, you know, divine. Maybe that's what they were to believe. Maybe they are part Nephilim or something, so they can legitimately claim to be part little G-gods, right? Uh, there was a guy called me up years ago. He was talking. I was writing down everything as fast as I could. And he said he was down in Mexico and some other guys, and they got into the, to the drug cartel area without being noticed. They got in there and said they found three giant cities, and at least one of them looked like it had been lived in recently. And so they went into, a, I don't know, a building, a cave or something. And here's a, here's a coffin made out of green granite. And green granite, I don't know if that's, maybe that's Mexican. I'm not sure. But he said it was, it was 12 feet long and it was polished at like water. Not like smooth like a Corvette, but like water. Oh. So to, to cut the stone to start with <laughs> is something to carve out the insides is something more than to polish it so it's shiny like like water. Yeah. You do gotta really think a lot of that, or they get all of them had to think a lot of it. But a lot of these giants are buried, you know, they're yeah. they're also buried on their backs, face up, which a lot of Indians out here, you know, they're buried bundled up and with their uh, sitting on their bottom with their head up in a small hole because it's hard to dig out here in Texas in the wintertime. We bury people at length, you know, lengthened out. Yeah. The giants, uh, all the ones I've looked at, most of them, the legitimate ones, could have been uh, laid out. Well, we had one guest say that they were actual, like, uh, ways to channel the dead. They would bury them in these mounds, and then they would cremate them and put layers of their bones, and then they could speak to their dead ancestors down in Shioli or whatever you want to call it. It was like a portal to talk to the dead. And maybe that's why your buddy had uh, some paranormal experiences around. Yeah. That you were talking about, right? I, you know, I don't know. He, uh, <laughs> something really knocked him down. There wasn't nobody around. Wow. There were rattlesnakes involved and collapsed tunnels and filled in tunnels and stuff. And Whoa. His horse freaked out and he said, that, that, they, so they decided to leave. I, <laughs> I can't tell you anymore. I'll have to kill myself. I want to go there. I want to see, I want to see <laughs> the serpentine green granite coffin. Yeah, I, I do too. But, you know, the drug cartel, I was offered to come down and dig up a, a mammoth, beautiful mammoth down in white dirt in Mexico. And he said, we'll take you and you can have this saber-toothed cat too. I go, it seemed like legitimate guys, but it's like, okay, I'm an American. What's <laughs> yeah. to keep me from getting kidnapped? I go, you know, for a thousand bucks, you can have him back. Right. Like most of this stuff, again, you gets back into, is there a conspiracy? Because why is it always the same story? Right. The last, I think there were three news stories. And the last one said, we're hoping the Smithsonian will become involved and look at it. Well, 
that's the black hole of paleontology right there. You'll never see it again. So why would they do that? Well, you know, I don't know about Mr. Smithson. They started the Smithsonian, but <clears throat> the people that run that, the Mercury Museum, the Peabody, the Carnegie, the uh, Museum of Natural History in Denver and L.A., all those guys are, for the most part, atheists are churchy, you know, little believers. But they, uh, they have an agenda to suppress the Bible. So we got all these giant skeletons. If they put a giant skeleton on display, and I know they have hundreds of them, not thousands, they put one nine-footer on display and said, gee, this is like Goliath. They would never stop the lines of people come to see it. They make millions on it. So why don't they do it? Because their agenda is not to make money. It's to, to keep people from believing the, the truth of the Bible. It's more important than money, and money's important too. Mm. That, that's what I found throughout is, you know, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Man, that's true. I don't care if you're a PhD with a, a bad hairdo. You know, <laughs> you, you can love money as much as any old thief out there, some redneck, you know, in Texas. It ruins you, ruin you just the same. Well, Joe, you, we've been talking about a lot of fossils here. We're talking from the, uh, the the Legbone Bridge, and and you've done a ton of work on fossils. I'd like to, I would love to hear a bit about that, about the the Waco sudden death site, um, some of the things you found in Siberia and Alaska, and interestingly, the things that you found these man made objects in the rock strata that that predate dinosaurs, and, and your thoughts on on that, and how that how that really turns history on its head. Well, the Waco Sudden Death Mammoth Site was made into a, a national park by Mr. Obama back in 2015, I think. He didn't invite me, but, you know, I was intimately involved in it. <laughs> made the biggest mold ever made of any, any animal set on the ground and researched as much as anybody, and myself and Calvin Smith, who was the director of the thing. <clears throat> but, you know, having – I lived on that those bones for two solid months, crawling around on my knees and stomach for two months while I molded this – this uh, skeleton and this uh, juvenile on its tusk, 30, nearly 40 feet long. The moles were 10 feet wide, 3 feet deep, and, and 39 feet long. That's it's a really big latex rubber mold in the dirt in, in, in a wet environment. Is this the mastodon we're talking about? Uh, mammoth. Mammoth. Okay. okay. Yeah, this is the bull, the herd bull. And uh, at last count, I think there were 21 mammoths there, about a dozen females and their apparent babies. So... Having worked on it for two months and, and been associated with it for several years, <laughs> read all the reports and, you know, know all the principal people working on it, it occurred to me that if they would take into account the Brazos River, I believe runs right south of there, it's the Brazos River consists of it's a limestone trough. Okay, it was a huge limestone shelf down there, which I would say was formed during Noah's flood four and a half thousand years ago. The earth cracked <clears throat> and the north half of that crack sank down a hundred feet, which is, we wouldn't know what to do. If that happened today, that would ruin all of Texas. Every house would be, you know, collapsed. It sank down a hundred feet and the high water table of Waco, if you have an earthquake like that, you're going to liquefy the ground. And all over Waco, I know other diggers who found tons of mammoth, you know, I mean, hundreds of mammoths out there. If you liquefy the ground due to a massive earthquake, uh, all the, let's say there's a hard bull, I mean, a, a herd of animals that are resting in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, just standing around. The safety cat over here isn't doing anything. There's a big old camel standing around and a bunch of horses nearby. All of a sudden, boom, this thing happens. Well, that much trauma liquefies the ground, so all the water starts coming up. The babies start to, to you know, drown. They're in the liquid mud. They can't, can't swim. The mamas pick them up with their tusks. 
eventually, the bull scoops up one of the little juveniles to hold him, gets his leg trapped under his under his chest. He drowns with a baby on his tr- uh, tusk, and mud just slopes over all of them going south towards this crack, okay? And it who knows how long it shook or how many other uh, subsequent earthquakes caused the, the mud to shift and just come over these things. They're probably covered in uh, maybe eight or 10 feet of, of, of bosky clay, sort of a sandy clay, until about <clears throat> 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, somewhere in there, these guys found these boats coming out of the ground because the, the, the watershed had cut little draws down in to expose all these bones. Baylor got involved, dug a bunch of them up, and brought me in to mold the bull in the dirt. So I started putting two together, and there was a uh, the, the bull's skull had been moved up and back onto his shoulders, four feet back onto his shoulders. It's a big mammoth skull, a huge thing, with nine-foot tusks with this female, this little baby on his tusk. Another female over here, her skull had had lifted up and turned upside down. The camel skull floated around quite a ways from him. Another mammal, the baby mammoth skull floated around. So how in the heck could this happen? It's not a kill site. It's not a scavenging site. How could that happen? Well, if you uh, take into consideration, do you have a big earthquake now? You know, a few days later, maybe a week later, you have another one. So the ground liquefies now. These animals have been laying there for maybe a week or more. Their skulls are huge. They're all, all this like a honeycomb in there. Well, they start filled with, with decaying gases. So as the liquefaction causes the mud to turn to water again, these skulls float up and then turn over or move down and then settle that back down when it stops shaking. You, you can't explain it any other way. In fact, the camel's backbone's been moved four feet from where it ought to be. <clears throat> if you know something about animal skins, camel hide is pretty tough, elephant hide is tough. So even after a couple of weeks, you've got desiccation. And you've got this, most of the bones still have some integument that hold them together. But, but you've got body sack travel. These animals now are covered in mud. They're falling apart on the inside. So if you move them, and either you're going to have body sack travel, the bones are still in the body sack, but they, they end up somewhere where they're not supposed to be. To me, that explains it. So I think, okay, what could have caused this, this uh, earthquake? And when, when was it? Were there no man facts associated with it? There's no pollen there. There are no trees, although there must have been a huge forest when, when this thing happened. So I went in to talk to the, uh, the president of, of Baylor, the Baptist College, right? And he asked me about the mammoth site. I said, well, I explained to him, oh, this is going to make a lot of people crazy. I said, I think this happened during the crucifixion of Christ. He looks at me like, oh, I, did, I don't understand Spanish. <laughs> you know. So I said, you know, here's why. And I explained this whole scenario to him. That it said when Jesus was crucified, the rocks rent, the rocks tore, the rocks cracked. You go all over the world, you go to find the rocks are cracked. Well, limestone's a big rock, and here's this giant crack going through it. And here these mammoths are with nobody around. So I thought that's a pretty good explanation. <clears throat> but uh, Baylor didn't think it was. And the museum that has one of my casts there doesn't think it's a good explanation. Luke, I've got friends who go to Christian conferences about evolution where a bunch of Christians get in the room and they're like trying to embrace this idea of evolution. And it's it's wild. I, I, my head spins when, when you look at this from a scientific perspective, you know, these are the first people to yell pseudoscience at you and anti-science at you. 
there's no way that there was a worldwide flood. How can there be such a chasm between these two thoughts where you have some people on one side saying creationists are anti-science and pseudoscience, and then you have a lot of creationists like you who are digging into this stuff and looking at it, and you're not tied to any institutional organization. So you can just speak at whatever you think is the most plausible hypothesis. Or some of these guys, you know, their their uh, credibility is tied to their job, right? But I just can't, I can't understand the... It's true. I got so many friends who think that creationists are anti-science. What do you say to that? How do you... Well, really, I hate to say this, but a lot of people are just ignorant. <clears throat> For instance, I'm always amazed at millennials or even people over that who never heard of Elvis Presley. Yeah. And the Beatles, the most successful pop stars ever. Y'all never heard of them? Well, I, I don't know. Like, how can you not know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, do you know where Germany is? Um, like, is that like near like Los Angeles? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's right next door. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I'm just appalled at people's ignorance. I've had people come out of my museum. They want to make a movie on Giants for, for a Christian movie. And I go, well, do you know about ICR, the most important creation organization in the world? No. You ever heard of Ken Ham? No. It's like, okay, so you want to play guitar and make a record, and you don't even know who Elvis is or the Beatles. You're really into music, right? It's like, okay. Youth can, can you know, explain a few things, but I would, we weren't that ignorant. When I was a kid, we weren't that ignorant. We knew a lot of stuff. We had a worldview. We knew several other people's worldviews, other religions. And I, I don't know how people be so ignorant today, but what I've found is a lot of evolutionists who get their jobs at universities, they want that job. For one, it's going to make mama happy. And dad's going to tell you, you better get a job with that, that money I spent. I spent 80000 bucks. You're going to get a job doing that. So don't mess up on the test. Yeah, but dad, they're asking me how old the earth is. I don't believe the earth is 4.6 billion years old, give or take a week or two. Son? You just put down what they want because you know it isn't true. You just put down what they want. Okay, so he gets a job. Now he's got to perpetuate the lie. The best way to, just, to do that is salve your conscience and say, well, anybody that opposes the, the academic view is uh, just a narrow-minded Bible-thumping, you know, Jesus freak. <clears throat> so it's, a, it's an excuse. So, but then a lot of them in the, uh, the scientific world, you know, if people just knew these guys, they'd know they don't really believe all that stuff. I've had them tell me, Joe, I don't believe this millions year of stuff, but you've got to protect your job. Okay, so would that be the love of money is the root of all evil? Because you're willing to teach a lie just to get a paycheck? You know, I don't have respect for that. I, I'm an omniologist. I, I kind of made up a word. Maybe other people have too. But back when I got into the, the bone business, I, I meet these guys that, well, I'm just into lower order vision trilobites. I'm just an upper carnivorous uh, birds or something. Is that it? You know, you're just, that's your little narrow focus. You're just a mammoth toe bone guy. That's boy, you know? So <laughs> I said, not me. I'm an omniologist. I want to know about everything. So the more you know about everything, biology, archaeology, geology, paleontology, meteorology, uh, Scientology, you name it. It's a lot easier to understand stuff because you've got this periphery out here. It says, okay, no, it can't be this because of that. Can't be that because of this. Pretty soon you've narrowed down all the interpretations and you get back closer to the truth. Hmm. With a lot of Christians, and I meet them all the time, had a couple just recently, they want to appear to be uh, open-minded, scientifically astute, 
and they don't want to be thought of as being, you know, old-fashioned, narrow-minded, Bible-thumping Christians, right? They want to appear to be intelligent. So they subscribe to, well, who are the most intelligent people? Well, that'd be those guys with PhDs up there that say the Earth's millions of years old and, and evolution is true. Okay, I'll jump on that bandwagon. I had to tell me all the time, like, well, I see this and that. Well, man, you know, you're just ignorant. And I know you think you're intelligent. You've got pretty good IQ, but you're just ignorant. I'm sorry. You just don't know the facts. And I'm not nice about it anymore. Maybe I never was. But I'm <laughs> hey, no, I it's fine. We had, had some of these guys that they're just playing flat out. They don't have, they don't tell you, Joe, we like to party just like the rock star guys. You know, we got women too. They all, they're all smarter than the rock star guys, girls. Yeah. But we like to party and drink too. You know? Oh, well, I thought you were open-minded scientists. Uh, well, no, we just like to party, but but we want people to think we are. You, you remind me of some things uh, right off the bat. I, I was reading an article the other day about our modern problems with medicine is that every doctor is a specialist now. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got if you've got a f- problem with your foot, you go see a foot specialist, but it could be some issue in your back that's causing your foot to be jacked up, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we've created this big, huge problem where doctors only know so they're experts in one thing or two things. Yep. And, you know, and it just reminds me of growing up in the church and hearing things like narrow is the road. Do you think is that what you're like? There's always like one guy who figures it out and everyone else is just on the, the broad road. And there's just a couple guys on the narrow road. Like, look, look at they're the Indiana Jones, modern Indiana Jones is out there looking at the rocks and trying to point out the truth. And you have all these people who are just. Is that, is that kind of what you're describing a little bit? You know, I think people basically want to fit in. They want to be accepted with whatever crowd they feel comfortable with. They want to learn the paradigm. What is it we believe in in this group? Whether it's golf or football or horses or bones or, you know, party, whatever it is. What do we believe in this little group here? Where are my parameters? Well, you learn that as soon as you get away from the, the, the paradigm or whatever it is accepts, then they, hey, 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 get back in line here, man. People want to be acceptable. Most people don't want to go outside the little box, right? Even dumb people. People don't have many brains. <laughs> can be good people. But they can be wise people. True. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I've known some people that didn't, didn't have much brains, but they were. I'd go to them with a problem before I would any PhD because they have wisdom. As God promises, he said, it gives wisdom to all men and upright up none. It helps to be smart because, you you know, you remember things better. It's wisdom that counts, not brain power. And very few people want to give up money. Anyway, if you love money, you can make a lot of money in your world. Get a little bit of talent. You know, if you're willing to look the other way, so it's the same way in science. It's like you want to keep this job here, uh, you're going to have to – we know those dates are bogus yeah. that we got. Yeah. But if you publish that, we'll have to fire you. No, I think I think you bring up a good point earlier about the ego involved. Like I like what you were saying about, you know, this is where the smart people are. I want to appear smart. And if I'm an if I'm an intellectual, I'm going to be seduced to this side where I want to be smart too. And if I go against the flow, well then maybe people will say I'm stupid. You know what I mean? I'm not smart. I'm not an intellectual. And it seems like that is seducing a lot of people to that side. But when you look at the evidence, when you step back, I mean, it feels like we've, I feel like in the last couple of years, I've walked into Narnia 
And I'm just so dumbfounded about the world is full of all this stuff that nobody ever told me about. And it's undeniable at this point, right? What are some of the, what are some of the aha moments that you had? Well, this, this cowboy guy took us down to the, the burial site where this giant was from after we got stuck in the river for two hours. And they said, oh, you'd make it. So I took off my pickup. Boom, I got stuck for two hours. I had to get a tractor to pull me out. So we go up this hill and we went up and up and up to the brush and stuff. Finally get up the top of the hill which overlooked the valley out there. And here was all these old rocks that had been covering the guy. This was a uh, 95. He was dug up in 55. So, you know, there's been a million cows up there and stuff digging around. So if there were any bones left, they had completely disintegrated. In fact, I, he must not have been very deep because according to what this, this guy told me, the bones just sort of fell apart. But yeah, you, you know, they don't really fall apart if you know what you're doing. <clears throat> so the jawbone, the skull, some of the toe bones, things like that, maybe they pick those up, maybe one leg bone. Hmm. But uh, that's as close as I've gotten to uh, hmm. to an actual grave. And and the man that actually dug it up, uh, you know, you hear stories, but man, most of them, anymore, uh, if they're digging a, uh, a, a basement or something that's being done by machine. So if they hit bones, they didn't like a hundred years ago where you hit a bone, you dig it all up because you can tell what it is. So a lot of those things were found by people digging basements and, and, and dug into an old graveyard or something. <clears throat> or they dug into those mounds. Well, heck, all the mounds have been dug into and ruined, most of them. The bones are fragile. As soon as they hit the air, they fall apart, is what they say. And now, because of the... Uh, the, what is it, American uh, Native Repatriation Act or something, you can't dig up a skeleton. Well, you know, really, so a giant, uh, the Indians want to preserve the giant bones integrity. No, they hated them. <laughs> talk to any Indian, read any Indian history, they hated the red-headed giants, the big guys, right? Yeah. Because they were so bad. So if we're digging up their grave, Indians don't care. They're probably ha- glad to have their bones. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we heard we heard from one of our guests that they 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 wouldn't settle anywhere near those mounds. They avoided them like the plague. And um, it's interesting. Do you think the Native Americans had a sense of good versus evil? They knew in their hearts that these things were evil. Yeah, I think so because uh, everybody knows cannibalism is wrong. Everybody knows that rape is wrong. Uh, kidnapping is wrong, and that was one of the things they had to deal with with these giants. They did all those things according you know different ones. You know, they come in, they steal your sheep or whatever you got, you're, you know, hunting all your deer. Anytime the Indians got over into another Indian group's territory, there was just always conflict, right? So the giant guys come in and start doing this sort of stuff. Well, yeah, you're going to have a fight on your hands. <clears throat> but I think the Indians, I talked to Najibwa here a few years ago, and he was saying, we know who's in those mounds out there. It's all those bad white people, hmm. you know, with the, with the red to blonde hair. We, we had to kill them. Okay, he knows I'm white. So he's not he's not talking about me. That's probably the Nephilim that came over here <clears throat> and and sailed in America. And did, you know, you ever figured the the dirt amount of dirt on those mounds in Ohio and other places? It's astronomical. And you think, oh, they did that with a little basket and these women hauling a basket of uh, twenty pounds of dirt around for what three million times? It's I don't know, man. It's uh, well, this one guy told me. Uh, he said, you know, he wanted me to come up and dig up this giant that's nine feet tall. But the uh, university made a mistake of calling them. They came out, 
and uh, dug around and said, okay, here's the deal. You must not dig on this or you were going to tell. And yes, you found a giant. He's six and a half feet tall. You know, uh, Paul, I mean, Saul, he was head and shoulders above the other guys. So he's about seven feet tall himself, right? I don't really think he was intimidated by a man nine and a half, ten feet tall, really. But it's like he couldn't beat that one guy, right? So the Philistines came out to send Goliath out, who may have been the runt of the bunch. And he's out there cursing the, uh, the, the Israelites. Hey, come on, send your best guy out. Well, even Saul couldn't have done battle with Goliath. He'd have lost. And then the Israelites would all have to be their slaves. That was the deal. You know, winner takes all. I just don't think that Saul was intimidated by that. David was intimidated because David had faith. He said, look here, I got this slingshot, you know. I've swung it probably 500,000 times. I can hit that guy in the corner pocket right here with the eight ball. So he sized him up, hit him right between the eyes. I think he hit that little bone right here. You hit that bone right there at the right spot, and that guy's going to go to his knees. And how David knew that, I don't know. When people come into your museum, have you ever had people just look at you dumbfounded and completely change their worldview and just walk out a changed man? I think so, yeah. Is that why you do what you do? Yeah. A lot of teachers come in with their school kids and they tell me, man, we're so glad you got this because they need to know the other side of the story. Now they know they've got some physical evidence they can tell their kids. That, yes, the Bible is true. Well, this evolution stuff, and even the evolutionists complained and said, the school books are out of date. They're out up to date. Well, yeah, you're right about that, man. Mm. They're way out of date. So the teachers are out there. They're just teaching what they're watching the book. They know in the heart it's not right, but they don't have any ammunition. So we give them ammunition. There was uh, two lady scientists, I'd say probably in their late 50s, 60s, came into the museum one day. And they were talking to my uh, a friend, Stan Lutz, who was a pretty knowledgeable guy, big guy. And he was telling about the burning tree mastodon that we have a cast of that I would restored and lived with it had living bacteria in its intestines wow okay living bacteria hmm. a several variety plus the stomach contents and who knows what was there if they didn't know how to dig it up properly so these ladies were looking talking to to stan and they got real serious and just stood there and looked at him he thought like it's like half a minute they stared at him and they had talked with each other a little bit came back and he says uh do you think the bible could be true he said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> he says, we are scientists. We know this all, the, these bacteria cannot last more than 300 years. There's no way this fossil, this elephant is 10,500 years old. That's from the horse's mouth. Yeah. We've done a lot of uh, DNA, and the, uh, uh, soft tissue, carbon-14, all this stuff. If people just knew, they wouldn't believe that stuff anymore. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're afraid. They're afraid of being called anti-science and pseudoscience, and they're afraid. I mean, I have friends who think that the church is dying because they're not embracing evolution and science. No, it's exactly the opposite. Well. Exactly the opposite. They're not giving them information. They're, they're, most of these preachers have come out of <clears throat> one of the major universities. They all teach evolution, okay? It's like, why, why do you teach evolution? Why do you teach the Bible? If there's no such thing as Adam and Adam's sin, which passed on to all humanity except Jesus, if that's not true, why do you go to church? Yeah. Why are you talking about Jesus saved if there's nothing to it? Mm -hmm. If there's nothing to say, if there's no such thing as sin, well, then what are we talking about? What's the purpose? Just a social club? So if you tell people that, that evolution is true, there's no way Genesis first chapter could be true.
It's too plain. It's not like poetic language. It's it's just a story that's the truth. Well, uh, how could God create things in six days? Well, how could he create uh, the world in six billion years? Is it, you know, do you think he did it in six billion years? Yeah. Create all these billions of universe, universes and, and our galaxies and all that, plus man and all the animals? You know, you still have a hard time believing it unless he's all powerful. Mm-hmm. So what I just accepted, he did all in six days. Ooh. Well, now you look like an old-fashioned nut. See, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't care. I mean, wh- what about all these other creatures, though? How do they fit into this story? Like the Mothman, and and we talked a little bit about Bigfoot, and all these other weird UFO stuff. I mean, there's all this other stuff that kind of feels like it's outside of both camps. You know, the church people won't talk about it. You know, the academia won't talk about it. What's going on there? What do you think about these 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 uh, cryptid creatures that people are seeing? A lot of people are lazy and they want so badly to fit in with their little clique that they don't dare come up and say, hey, I saw a mothman. Oh, hey, I, yeah, me too, man. Yeah, I want you red with green eyes. Well, then they shut up and never tell about it again. They've learned their lesson. Don't talk about it. So they tell me, and I've, I've talked to four people now who've seen these things. One lady has hit two of them twice with her car, knocked it over in the ditch. A mothman? Yeah. Did- Went over, and and uh, the first time, she hit it doing, I don't know, 40, 50 miles an hour, knocked, dented her fender, bumped her head, knocked it over in the ditch, and slipped through the grass. This trucker gets out and says, lady, get away from that. That thing isn't human. Get out of here. She's a uh, uh, gutsy. She goes over and, and rubs his, and hits his shoulder and says, sir, are you all right? He stands up. And it's got this awful smell. And she didn't describe his face, but it's something weird. And he ruffles his wings and just flies in a circle, flies around and flies away. Flies away. Dude. Yep. Yeah, that's the uh, fourth person I've had tell me uh, of their own encounter with it right here in Crosbyton. Wow. I think we're the Mothman experience capital of the world. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> what do you think it is? Like, what is that? How does that fit into the Bible? And You know, maybe it's a moth. Could it be a giant insect? Could be. How many times can you hit a fly and they fly away, you know? Flies are pretty tough. Yeah. So, I, you know, could it, be a, could it be an angel? Could it be a literal angel who just happens to smell bad? And and looks terrible, and but you know, wasn't sulfur? Isn't sulfur smell associated with Satan? Yeah, yeah. That's why when you go into some lawyers' offices, <laughs> it smells like burned hair and sulfur because they bend down to get the marching orders. That that's morning. right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we've we haven't talked about Mothman much on our show lately. Those listening, you know, it's described as like a giant man with wings and like big, big bug eyes, red bug eyes. There's lots of accounts of Mothman appearing before a natural disaster where like, you know, the, some people will see this Mothman creature and something catastrophic will happen. Yeah, I remember some of those stories. Nothing like that's happened here. The way they describe this, and he's about six feet tall. He's not a giant. Yeah. Uh, there was another one in a little town over here south of Lubbock, Texas. And that one came after these guys. They were out hunting. And he came after them. They jumped in the pickup and took off, drove as fast as they could. This is like in uh, 71 or something, 373. They are probably doing 80 or 90 miles an hour. This thing was keeping up with them, clawing at the back tailgate. 
And they were screaming like little girls, terrified. So a cop gets in behind them, right? Because they're speeding. <laughs> they turn off the little town. The cop goes in chasing this thing. I haven't talked to the cop, but I've talked to the guys that know this, one of these guys. And uh, how anything can fly 80 miles an hour without flapping its wings a million times a minute. I, I don't know. That's wild. How it could just levitate in the air and and then fly away. It gets in this whole uh, portal, preparing natural for a normal thing and all that. I don't know. Is it a demon? Is it a demon manifestation? Well, that's maybe. But he dented the car. Yeah. I don't know. Can you, yeah. can you hit a demon and dent your car? Well, that's the weird thing we, we've, we've been talking about on our show is uh, one of our guests, Doug Van Door, brought up the ufo phenomenon that it seems to materialize and the thing about bigfoot is it's it's in the material world right but it has this paranormal abilities a lot of people can't make sense of the material side of these things what is your take on the material flesh of these spirit creatures well you know the demoniac of Gadara was possessed by perhaps a thousand or more demons wow. who, who call themselves uh legion because they were, we are many it says that guy could break iron, you know, shackles and all that sort of stuff. He cut himself with stones and go around screaming like an animal. I don't know what he ate. Demon possession oftentimes comes with strength, sometimes a low voice, you know, uh, or, or, or is it just demons? But can they, they can inhabit animals, apparently. They can, know uh, we know they can inhabit pigs, according to the Bible. And could they inhabit a, uh, a dog? I had a friend who felt like, uh, uh, his dog was demon possessed. <clears throat> so I don't know. I mean, I've heard stories of childhood toys, dolls, and weird, you know, inanimate objects suddenly coming to life, like Chucky, you know, the old horror movie. Like I've, that, I've heard so many stories of that, those things. Yeah. But the material side of the thing with the UFOs is really interesting, and we, and we haven't really gotten to that. But we, but one of my last questions for you, because we're we could probably talk forever, is. Um, you talk about the little people in the uh, in the notes you sent over to me, and we've had three or four guests talk about the little people. A lot of people think that they're responsible for all these people going missing in state and local parks around the world. What what, what do you think the little people are? And I don't know a lot about them personally. They're like trolls, or they're leprechauns, or what are they? They may just be little people, you know, just little people who have developed a society that. Uh, protects them from big people because we'll step on them and kill them or, you know, squeeze them. So maybe they've developed an entirely different way of living. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just human beings because they've got a body of one as a mummy. It's been around a long time. This friend of mine almost bought it. <clears throat> so there, there are cities that have been found, at least one city where it would have uh, held people, you know, 12 inches or 14 inches tall. Didn't look like a toy. Looked like a, a ruin of something. Mm. I asked, asked an Indian lady one time. She was on a dig with us, and it's an intelligent lady. She's associated with NASA. And I said, uh, "So have you ever ever heard of the little people?" Oh yes. Said uh, people think the Indians are trash because we throw our old clothes out on the ground, so we throw them out for the little people. They go, "Okay." So how? I mean, how little? You're talking like you're talking like a foot tall. Oh, Tom Thumb. Yeah. Okay. He was a real human being. He wasn't a dwarf. He was a regular little guy. So could he have had a child that was 12 inches? These guys, these uh, these truckers up in Colorado, I don't know how they got a hold of it, but maybe through my museum, said, hey, we're going to talk to you. Come out to our house. So I drove way the heck out somewhere near Denver on the way to the dig. 
And they showed me this little hatchet they found, little hatchet head made out of wood. I go, okay. I mean, it it looks like a little hatchet of a guy about 12 inches tall, but I don't know. Maybe they carved it. I don't know. They found it. That's crazy. That's crazy. And these are truckers. One of them looks like a biker. You know, giant me and you, man. He didn't look like somebody running around telling fairy tale fairy, right? right? It's yeah. Fairy's it's like Gulliver's so Travels. So this other guy was just some redneck trucker. And they said, well, we, we cornered one of these things in, in a little box canyon in New Mexico, I guess, northern New Mexico. And so they were following it, right? I guess the thing was running all the hills or whatever. And finally, with this box canyon, okay, this is where it gets weird. He says, and he just, he just disappeared. He just went somewhere. I go, well, maybe fell into a crack, jumped into a hole. Behind a stick? No, man, he just disappeared. Yeah. Crazy. So, okay, well, maybe y'all were drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's where I, I don't know if I've, I, I fall into the, like, it's little people or if it's a giant insect. It's, it seems like there's just, there's too much paranormal activity associated with all these cryptid creatures. Like, uh, the you know, the dog man and goat creatures that are in the woods and stuff. Um, the she- yep. the sheep squatch, a Bigfoot that looks like... <laughs> I mean, there's just some weird, r- creepy, evil is stuff. Is that a new one on me? A sheep squatch? That, that's something new. I learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the little people thing, some of these things are persistent. You got the fairies, you know, and all the old children's books we've read. They go back a long way. Stories of fairies. You have the little people. You have the pigs over in Scotland. Uh, the pigs who knows out in, in, uh, in uh, western Colorado that the Indians talk about is don't go over there picking up airheads because the picked nose will get you, the little people. Yeah, the Indians talking about them just like it's a real thing. But but these stories persist. Same way with, with Sasquatch. You know, the stories are, are consistent through through a long period of time, through multiple, all kinds of people, and with nothing to gain from it in most cases. After a while, the, it's like the predominant, the uh, preponderance of evidence. You know, those eyewitnesses say we saw it, but no, none of us have a photograph you got to give it some credibility. What it means, I don't know. I'm leaving the door open. I don't know what, I don't, I can't finalize on, on uh, Bigfoot, finding out more about him all the time. Just found out some really groovy stuff here a couple of weeks ago. Wild stuff. I'm with you though. We've been talking about this a lot. Uh, you got enough people seeing the same thing. Uh, you can't discredit, you know, the eyewitness. And, and while there is a lot of fallacies when we talk about, you know, court of law and people seeing, you know, seeing the same thing and seeing it differently. You have a lot of people seeing the same thing and seeing it the same way. Yeah. That is, you know, that, that in of itself has to lead credence to the, to the idea and the, that something really is going on, whether it be little people or Bigfoot or, um, you know, the Mothman way down there in Texas. Well, one of the defenses that, that uh, biblical scholars give for the Bible is in the, the four gospels. They, you know, if you analyze reports of things, uh, eyewitness accounts, they say, you know, they're they're all telling the same story, but they're different enough that they're not copying each other's stories. And they tell stuff that the other one didn't tell, which doesn't contradict what the other one said. So there's, a, at least in the biblical time, there's legitimacy to four different views. Well, you got 30,000 views of a Sasquatch. They're all a little bit different, but there's so many similarities that overlap all the time. It can't just be nothing. Right. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Joe, what are your plans for the uh, future? What do you want to do? Where's your mind at? I know you're a dreamer, an artist. We're always dreaming. 
What are you thinking of? What's the next big plan for you? Well, one of the things I want to do is uh, I want to do one more concert with my band, Radio Star, in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, do a little recording, maybe. I also want to finish up several books I'm writing. I had uh, permission to go to Israel to mold uh, some fossils over there in the ground. Took quite a bit of time, but, I, but then COVID came up, so we didn't go. I want to do that. There's two other places in Israel I want to uh, to mold some stuff that I can't even talk about until I do it. And I have a Jewish contact, a Jewish military man now that says, "Yeah, we can, we can get you in there." Hmm. So that's that's not, that's a pretty major effort. Top secret. Yeah, top secret. Oh man. Stuff in England. Yeah, we want to do it in England and uh, want to go back to Peru and prove the geology there. Hmm. You friends with Brian Forrester? Uh, yeah, I'm friends with Brian. I don't agree with a lot of his stuff, but he's done a lot of work, you know. He's, uh, he's how Marzulli and I got over there. That's who we went with. He kind of got our, our bearings. But there's a lot of stuff those guys don't see because of, you know, my different background. I, I look at things differently. I look at things as an artist, as a historian, as a biblicist, as a geologist, as a paleontologist, all this stuff. So they're just seeing the heads and the tombs and the big rocks. But I'm seeing a lot of other stuff. So I want to go back and, and prove a lot of that stuff. The other thing is uh, a friend of mine, I found this sculpture up at 8,000 feet out in Montana. That is so weird. It's beautifully done. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not ready to publish on it yet, but if you guys are interested, maybe we'll get into that sometime. So we're going to publish on it. I'm trying to get every artist, art historian, parents to take a look at it uh, through a cast. Can't show the real thing right now, but it is so strange. It raises many serious questions. Is it a? It's it's a carving. You said it's a beautifully done carving. Yeah, and hard stone. Really? Wow. It should not be at eight thousand feet in the mountains in Montana. It just should not be there. I'm excited to hear about what that is when that, when that book comes out. Joe, tell Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to. They want to find you on the internet or they want to come visit you uh, at the museum. You can go to www mountblanco.com m-t-b-l-a-n-c-o.com or you can come to 124 West Main Crosbyton that's like being Crosby with a ton on it Crosbyton, Texas 79322 uh, call us on the phone if I haven't got my hands in plastic or plastic I'll try to answer it and uh, that's 806 Six seven five seven 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 seven. Now, even a guy from A and M remember them last year. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I love it. You're a, you're a dying breed. There's 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 this whole generation of guys who who knew how to do everything. Um, I met a few in my lifetime. My friends, do, I, I met a guy. No joke. One of my buddies in college. His grandfather was a blacksmith. He runs a whole old school town. He calls it Cowboy Church. He invites all of his cowboys up. They all ride up. They know how to do everything. And when I was there, yep. I felt like about I felt like the smallest man in the crowd. I thought, man, I thought I knew a few things. I don't know nothing. That generation is just fascinating. It's it's something that I, I feel sorry for our generation that we just don't have this knowledge. We don't know how to make anything, build anything, create anything. We're all on our phones all day long. It's, 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 and nobody reads. Nobody reads. No, well, that's exactly why I didn't tell you that we're, I want to pass the baton to the next generation. So my friend Stan and I are going to start a school of applied paleontology. We're going to teach them everything from welding to dig this stuff up to 
how to prepare it, how to, to sell it, what it means, what it looks like on the inside of the bone, all the soft tissue, all the evolution ideas, all the creation ideas. But you get to work with actual bones for about nine months, we're going to do the school. And we're looking for passion. We're looking for hard workers and somebody with an open mind who doesn't know it all. If you know it all, we don't need you. You got it all. Joe, thanks for letting us stand on your shoulders here, man. You are one of the giants in, in, the, in this space. And uh, we'll have to bring you back when that next book comes out and talk about what's going on up in Montana uh, that the world should know about. So appreciate your time. Thanks right. so much. I enjoyed yeah. it. Appreciate Absolutely. you guys. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. Good night, man. Right.